Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's an incredible moment when the political left eats their own. And it happens so very often because the the goalposts of woke move with such rapidness that one who is the leader of the woke movement today is somebody who needs to be educated tomorrow, re-educated, if you will, perhaps in a camp. Katie Couric discussing Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her book. Didn't like how Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. So tried to condition her words a little bit so it didn't look so bad for her. Well, are we interested in are we interested in the person or are we interested in the narrative? Which which, which one is it? Someone can't have an opinion you disagree with, but you like them on other things. They're not allowed to have one thing that steps out of line with the world of wokeness. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG, was everything. And now, just a bigot. Oh, how things change. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Now, now, Biden is supposed to be talking about COVID today. Who knows? Eh, that guy will schedule a press conference and then nine hours later show up. You know, the, the nap is done when the nap is done. And if you say to me, Tony, that's not fair, I got to ask you, why is he always so late? Why schedule the things? Don't tell us he's going to speak until he's just walking out. And then we'll be like, oh, he's going to speak. And then we'll listen. But don't schedule things and you're like two hours late. What was it 38 minutes uh, late uh, just uh, the other day? 38 minutes late when talking about how he's going to save the supply chain, which is a story in and of itself. I'll get to that. But Biden speaks. We'll, we'll bring it to you. No, but this was this was a group of anti-racist educators as part of a uh, virtual town hall, talking about the importance of introducing critical race theory to young people. I said, oh, that's that's interesting Something that I recognize is that I am a lot more and what would be considered aggressive than a lot of people want to be. And I don't think that it is appropriate to be tepid about this. So I don't, I don't think that it's appropriate to be like, okay, well, let's also coddle this, um, this hierarchy that we've created. Let's, let's, let's be beholden to these feelings, to, to the attachment. Basically what you're asking is like, let's, let's take care with people who are, who are attached to this white supremacy and let's not try to wrench it from their hands too quickly. And I'm like, no, let's do that. Let's get rid of that asexually. Let's do that as quickly as possible. Let's start as early as possible. Um, because all that's going to happen as you continue to ingest all of these messages and as you continue to go through these different levels of, of socialization, you are going to become more resistant to the truth. You're going to become more resistant to critical thinking. So I think that as soon as as soon as you want to in, introduce your child to uh, to reading and literature, period, you should be starting. You don't mean you don't mean reading literature. You mean engaging your kids in critical race theory as early as possible. What's so interesting about this is that there are people out there who will still tell you 
that critical race theory is not not a thing. Oh, there's no such thing as critical race theory. There are, we we don't teach critical race theory. Isn't that right, Terry McAuliffe, Democratic candidate for governor in Virginia? Are taught. I was very clear that we don't teach critical race theory here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it's a racist dog whistle, and he's got to stop it. I'm about uniting. Our children should not be used as political pawns. If that's the conversation you want to have against your Republican challenger, Glenn Youngkin, you can, but it's not working. It's not working anywhere. It's also not working when you say things like this. I'll build education. That's why uh, Fox News has me leading. Len Yunkel destroy Virginia's education system. That was just in passing. I'll rebuild, I'll build education in Virginia. This is the same guy who said, I don't want parents having a say in what happens in the schools. But having a say in what happens in the schools is everything. And this pushback by school boards, with the help of the Justice Department, has been despicable. And as much as I do not forget that Joe Biden left Americans to die in Afghanistan, I have to say that this is tied as the top story in America. I will never forget that Joe Biden left Americans to die, left those Afghans who helped us, left them to be tortured and killed by the Taliban or ISIS-K, or whomever else may be in existence. Joe Biden did this. Not a good guy. Not a decent guy. Doesn't have a decent team. And it will not be forgotten by any of us, parents or otherwise, because I don't think you have to be a parent to be disgusted by this, that the Department of Justice referred to parents as domestic terrorists. It is what happened, and the leftists can say no. All they want, it is what happened. Well, now there are groups like the African American Policy Forum making claims that look at all the leaders of the um, uh, of of the uh, uh, those who are opposed to critical race theory in schools. And Christopher Rufo was on that list, and of course we've talked about his work. And one of the people on the list was William Jacobson. I'm like, no! William Jacobson we have on the show all the time. He's our legal guy. Legalinsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor. And of course he has spoken up very clearly about what's going on with critical race theory and has been doing the research. Doing the yeoman's work. So the, the, the uh, African American uh, Policy Foundation, I think that's what it's called, Policy Forum has this thing about uh, what is the infrastructure behind the war on racial justice, and it says the frontline spokespeople, and William Jacobson is one of the guys. So I'm like, oh, you got, I, this I got to hear. This I got to hear. So I spoke to him earlier today, and we talked about what's going on with critical race theory, what's going on here with, 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 with this, uh, putting him on, uh, calling him on the frontline spokespeople. And, and I said, uh, uh, so, so why is it that you are, as they call it, part of the problem? Well, I'm the solution. I'm not the problem. They are the problem. I mean, it's really surprising. Uh, I guess it's not surprising that, you know, the people who control academia, who control the media, who control now corporations, still feel the need to try to single out and isolate and attack individuals like myself and several others, many of whom on their literature 
are non-white. In fact, most of them on the page you're talking about are non-white people, professors, authors, activists who are against the racialization of education. And so I'm honored to be on that list, but it also just shows how pathetic these people are that despite all the money they have, all the power they've accumulated, they still, their message still isn't resonating. As Christopher Rufo goes through this, um, the language within their their handouts discusses disinformation, McCarthyism, January 6th, uh, big lie, alt-right, Steve Bannon and the Koch brothers make the list, fringe element extremist, voter suppression, and right-wing attacks. Uh, David, uh, Christopher Rufo's point, I should say, Christopher Rufo's point uh, from City Journal is that this isn't a sign of confidence. As you see the pushback against parents speaking out against what they're seeing in the schools, which is not about uh, being opposed to discussions of race, but rather indoctrination of students and teaching them that they're guilty based on the color of their skin or they're oppressed based on the color of their skin. um, What do you get when you see a guide filled with this kind of language? Well, it's not the first time that I've seen it. The uh, people p- pushing the CRT are highly organized, highly well-funded, and I've seen other messaging guides. They like to produce guides and talking points for their supporters and their activists as if they are incapable of coming up with it on their own. So I've seen these sort of guides. There's a group called Future of Learning. That's a coalition of over 300 uh, pro-CRT educational groups funded by major foundations and also uh, seems to be under the thumb of the National Education Association, which is one of its funders. They have a messaging guide. They have talking points. They have things that are literally called talking points, and they hire strategic consultants. And this whole and they create these red herrings, these false arguments that, oh, you know, People opposed to the racialization of education, they just don't want us to talk about history. Well, I don't know anybody who says you shouldn't teach history, but why don't we teach history in history class? Why do we have to inject this racial element into math class and into physics class? And why must every single aspect of a child's life and education now be forced to revolve around the color of skin? That's what people are objecting to. Nobody serious. Uh, is objecting to teaching about slavery or teaching about Jim Crow. Those things are already taught in school. It's really the fact that they make skin color the singular focus of a child's life. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor of the Mind Behind Legal Insurrection, Dot com. You take a look at just a couple of stories uh, that you have up at LegalInsurrection.com. You've got the Loudoun County Public School Board denying that they knew about an alleged sexual assault in a school bathroom. You have parents kicked out of a North Carolina school board meeting. And a story that you have been following very closely, the harassment of um, a whistleblower teacher, a Providence uh, anti-critical race whistleblower teacher, as well as a parent who wanted to know more about critical race theory and got sued by the school board for making too many requests. Here in, in Indiana, we've got a school board, the Carmel Clay School Board has decided, well, you parents are just too rude and too mean, and so we're going all virtual. Now, people have yelled, people have gotten angry. One person had a gun slip out of their pocket. That happened. I, I, I like to give you the full story as opposed to a narrative story here. But so one person does that, and the next thing you know, no other parents are allowed to speak as if somehow that was the only reason they would have prevented parents from from speaking out. 
you see parents pushing back all day. They're reaching out to you. They're talking to you. How do you suggest they go about engaging these conversations? Or is it just full-on keep the pressure on until they learn that the parents are in charge? I think you have to keep the pressure on the people running these school boards. Not every school board, but certain school boards um, are uh, activists. They view their role to be activists. They want to... uh, indoctrinate your children in an ideology that most Americans of all colors and all ethnicities do not agree with. And uh, I think the pressure needs to be kept on, but people need to do it peacefully. They need to do it lawfully, and they need to be extremely careful because there is a lot of money and a lot of power behind these groups, and it just takes one person uh, to create a news distraction. Tony, you probably remember the Tea Party movement. We followed it very carefully. You could have 4,000 people at a rally with 1,500 signs, and they would find the one person in the crowd with the sign that was offensive, and that would now become the entire media focus. And there were documented instances where they actually planted people in crowds to say nasty things and to carry rude signs so that they could publicize it. So you need to keep the pressure on, but it needs to be done lawfully. Uh, You have a constitutional right to express your opinions to public officials, and you have the constitutional right to do it in a tone of voice that is above a hush, okay? You don't need to speak in soft tones. That's a good point. Just so you bring that up. The Constitution doesn't say free speech only for people who do not talk but we hear that at school boards right here in central Indiana, where uh, you, you, you're not allowed to make a threatening tone or you're not allowed to raise your voice. They're putting limits uh, that limits on speech? That's not the way it's supposed to work? When have you ever heard that limit placed on left-wing protesters? When did you ever hear a public official say, oh, well, the Black Lives Matter protests can't happen in our city because you know what? They're shouting. No, that doesn't happen. That only happens to parents who are objecting to the indoctrination of their children, to parents who are asserting their parental rights. So don't go for this. Keep the pressure on, but again, do it lawfully and do it in a very smart way because there are the media is not your friend. The, the mainstream media is not your friend. Any slip-up, any single incident will be portrayed as indicative of the entire movement, and we know that it's not. Before I let you go, sir, the Department of Justice from the the School Boards Association request basically labeling uh, parents as domestic terrorists. Uh, The the others decided to say, well, that's not what really happened. It seems very obvious that's what, what happened here. Are you hearing anything about the DOJ making moves to make it harder for parents to be able to speak out about their child's education and advocate for their kids? DOJ already made its move. That memo was intended to intimidate people. That memo was intended to give school boards and left-wing activists the ability to accuse people who are not violent of being potentially violent or of being potential domestic terrorists. So the DOJ already made its move, and I think it's going to backfire. From what I'm seeing, there is enormous energy in reaction to that and enormous defiance And the fact that they had to go to DOJ, and this is all appearing to be a a setup, that this is – they needed an excuse for the DOJ to go after people or to at least demonize them. And that school board letter was phony as anything. That was a setup. And uh, I'm hearing from people that they are 
They are energized like never before. And the fact that they have to go to DOJ and they have to try to criminalize political disagreement shows you they don't have confidence in their arguments. And they shouldn't have confidence in their argument. That's that's the point. Their argument is not an argument. Their argument is you be quiet. And if you won't be quiet, we will call you names and we will aggressively attack you. That's not an argument. That's a dictatorial mind uh, set. That's the argument. They aren't providing an argument. They like acting dictatorial and they will do whatever they can to silence you. I'm with. William Jacobson, don't be silenced. I appreciate him joining us, LegalInsurrection.com. I've got more. I'm Tony Katz. So producer Ari was asking me, is critical race theory and the indoctrination of children a bigger story than what's going on with shipping and trucking and not being able to get products at the store? Does it depend on whether you have kids? Everything depends on whether or not you're personally connected. I would argue that a lot more people are personally connected than they think. But no doubt if you're trying to get Christmas gifts and you can't get them, that's a big story. And what happens when you can't get, I don't know, the basics, the staples? We'll get into that coming up. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Australia, however, in a quick update, has lost its mind. Their radicalness in in the face of COVID is baffling. There is a father and son. The son has cerebral palsy, came to the United States for brain surgery. They're now ready to go home, and Australia said, sorry, you can't come home, COVID. It's it's insane. The Queensland health officials are refusing to allow them entry, so they can't go home. They're in quarantine in a hotel in Sydney. They got back. Now they can't get to where home is. This guy's got a wife. He's got other kids. His son needs therapy that has to be done at home because, well, there's something about COVID and whether or not your your papers are in order and these people are deluded. Australia is not an example of anything good right now. Australia is right now is an example of why the British tried to dump them so far away. All right, let's break down the supply chain issues because they're huge. This is Tony Katz today. Things are going to show up on time for Christmas. Based on everything being announced today. Yeah. And this administration guaranteed that holiday packages will arrive on time. We are 
not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee. What we can do is use every lever at the federal government disposal to reduce uh, delays, to ensure that we are uh, addressing bottlenecks in the system, including uh, ports and the, the need for them to be open longer hours so that goods can arrive. Uh, and we can continue to press uh, not only uh, workers and, and unions, but also companies to take as many steps as they can to reduce these delays. First, it is not incumbent upon the federal government to make sure you get your Xbox. Just, just so we're clear. But any uh, federal government that doesn't understand that getting the Christmas gifts on time is a big indicator about how you feel about the economy and how you feel about the country, well, of course they do. Of course it's not their responsibility. But this idea that they're going to, you know, push the ports and push the truckers, I want to get into that, and that's why I want to hear from truckers. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. But it was this. Uh, it, she's asked about prices, specifically meat prices. And she engages a very strange one-two punch that shows the levels to which this administration is covering for the rising costs in inflation. I know you do, but, but when the deceleration is happening slower, perhaps than people expected a few months ago, yeah. and people are still paying ten or fifteen or twenty percent more for meat, and they're saying, "Why was it supposed to be transitory three months ago, four months ago, and we're still here?" Does that make things more difficult to explain? as to why this is the case. Well, it requires us explaining, and through working with all of you as well, that um, the cost of meat is also related to competition and uh, uh, the, the small number of large uh, meat producers who have a dominance over the market. And uh, the fact that a lot of these issues are uh, not as simple as a one-sentence explanation uh, and that different industries have different issues in the supply chains, different issues that are causing some increases in prices, and also because we all understand the American people are not looking at cost-to-cost -cost comparisons from this year to two years ago. They're looking at cost-to-cost -cost comparisons to their checkbooks from eight months ago or 12 months ago. And even though factually, if you look back to two years ago, things may be comparative, that's not how people look at things. So our objective here is to tackle each of these issues uh, with the approach that we think will help address it in the shortest term. What the bloody heck kind of word salad is that? We don't compare things to two years ago. We, we, we compare things all the time. We're all comparing the prices all the time. Of course we are. We're taking a look at everything. We're seeing how it's, how it's affecting us. We're seeing how it is affecting our kids. When we can't buy... A steak because it's simply unaffordable. It's out of the range. Chicken is up. Milk is up. We were talking about this months ago. It's still up and growing. But nothing was more peculiar than Biden discussing how he's going to solve the problem at the ports. You understand the problem. We have ships, massive cargo ships, 70 plus all at a time waiting to get into port to get unloaded. They can't get unloaded. We don't have the people. There's, there's other issues. It's, it's been a bottleneck. So Joe Biden takes to the microphone some 38 minutes late yesterday and says, here's how we're going to solve this, mother. Here's how we're going to handle this, you know, you know, the thing. 
the ports of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. 24-7 system, what most of the leading countries in the world already operate on now, except us, until now. This is the first key step toward moving our entire freight, transportation, and logistical supply chain nationwide to a 24-7 system. And here's why it matters. Traditionally, our ports have only been open during the week, Monday through Friday, and they're generally closed down at nights and on weekends. By staying open seven days a week, through the night and on the weekends, the port of Los Angeles will open over 60 extra hours a week will be open. Now, I heard this and I said out loud, the port isn't open 24-7? That's, really? The port's not open 24-7? I, I, I was very surprised by that. Shocked by, by that revelation. What an odd thing. And then I said to myself, but wait a second. If the ports were never open 24-7 and we didn't have supply chain issues before, opening the ports 24-7 doesn't change the subject, does it? It doesn't solve a problem. They were open 9 to 5, banker's hours, yet somehow the shelves were full of all the stuff we wanted to buy, no matter what shelf we went to. And now it's less. So the answer is more hours? No, that can't be it. And, of course, you get to the question of, well, who's going to work there? Now, I have read, and maybe things changed, and maybe a deal was worked out with the longshoremen, with the unions, that you've got contracts with the longshoremen unions that prevent the ports from operating 24-7, as they do, for example, in Asia. Never mind what the costs would be and what that cost uh, is going to then come to you, me, and we, the end user, because, of course, it will. Oh, what they're going to pressure the businesses not to take, uh, not to pass those along to absorb those costs. You're pressuring businesses to get us all vaccinated. You're pressuring businesses to absorb costs. Eventually, the business says, "You know what? Enough of this corporatist America. Screw off." And it is a corporatist America. It seems pretty obvious. We'll get into that in the future. The costs will come to us because the labor cost has to go up. In the meantime, where are you going to find the people? Where in the world are the people who are going to work at this 24-7 port? In total, that will almost double the number of hours that the port is open for business from earlier this year. That means an increase in the hours for workers to be moving cargo off ships onto trucks and rail cars to get to their destination. No. No, it's not. Because it doesn't solve the problem that you have more hours to move the cargo off the ship doesn't mean you have the personnel to move the cargo off the ship. And more than that, the night hours are critical for increasing the movement of goods because highways, highways are less crowded in the evening, at night. In fact, during off-peak hours in Los Angeles, cargo leaves the port at a 25% faster pace than during the day shift. Well, of course it does. Thank you for that. Less cars in the evening. That man is an 
absolute genius. Your president, everybody, Joe Biden. Don't the same rules apply? Where are the truckers? Don't the same rules apply? And aren't there rules about how many hours a trucker can go in a day? This is why I want to hear from the truckers. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Chad, uh, the, the, man drives a, the man drives a truck. Chad, hey. I appreciate you calling in. Uh, where, first of all, what do you drive and where are you driving to and from? What's your, like, your normal routine? Hey, it's an honor to speak, uh, speak with you, Tony. I'm, uh, I've got an 06 Peterbilt. Been driving over the road here several years. This is my second stint in it. I think one of the biggest things that we're facing, you got hours of service. You're allowed 14 hours of on-service. Of those 14, you get 11 hours of drive time. A lot of the problem I run into on a daily basis, you get to these places to unload. You could be sitting there anywhere between five, six, seven hours. Once, and that goes against your hours of service. Now, there are right. things you can put on there if you want to go to off-duty and things. But, you know, it, it, if this jack wagon was serious about increasing the, the throughput and getting the goods from the shoreline to inland, he would, he would look at the 11 hours and say, look, what if we give every truck driver another three hours a day? Let's give them 14 hours a day of drive time. You, know, you wouldn't necessarily have to change the, hours, the total hours, but give them to where they can drive 14 hours. We'd have to split that up on our own so this, in, in whatever makes sense. Now, now, take me back a little bit, Chad, because I, I do talk yeah. to you guys and I pay attention. This was a problem having to do with digital logging. Uh, we were discussing this a couple of years ago, that the way you guys have to log your travel time, that you're you're never able to get a, a full day's ride in, if you will, because even if you're sitting in traffic, right, or even if you're having a meal or whatever, that's all counted against you, and you can't just, you know, be a rational person and drive as you need to. That was part of the problem, and now you're saying that this compounds the problem in terms of getting more goods moved in a quicker pace. Absolutely, you've got you've got you've got shortages. You know the, the companies are having a hard time getting people to go to work. Obviously, well, if they have a harder time getting people to work, what do they require? They, they your employees have to work more hours. Well, the, if we lose hours waiting for, to get unloaded and loaded, we have no way of making it up. So you know, I'm on my way back from Montana right now, and and, and technically it should be about a two and a half three day trip. Well, if we went 14 hours drive time a day. That would take my time down to two days legally, which would in turn get me back out on the road to take something somewhere else. I mean, like I said, if he was serious, they did this for LP a while back when there was an LP shortage. People were having a hard time getting getting LP to the to the rural areas. They they disregarded the hours of service. Those guys could run, uh, and I don't deliver to LP, so I don't know exactly the rule, but I do know that they, they took away the hours of service mandate to where they opened it up to, to, to free them up a little bit more. And if he was serious about, if he was 14 hours of drive time and somehow work into where if you lose seven hours waiting to get loaded, if you go to sleep or birth, and there are guys that, that, that do that, and you can. But so so a couple things. Hours. A couple things. Yeah. And, Chad, I – we can feel the frustration in you because it's more than just being able to do your job. This is how you get paid, and you could see a, a great economic opportunity in this. A couple things about what he said. First, LP is liquid propane, just so we're all clear. And why can't a, a, a guy who, who drives, or a woman who drives, okay, it's going to take five hours before I can uh, uh, unload, go in the sleeper berth, go where you can sleep in the truck, and get rest. 
Why can't that be done? What what Chad is engaged in, and Chad, I appreciate the phone call, man. Stay in touch with us. Uh, keep letting us know what's going on and safe travels. He's engaged in a rational conversation about what the trucker actually does and how to do it better. When do you think Joe Biden actually spoke to anyone like Chad? Now, somebody else sent me on, on Twitter, and yes, this is very, very true. I haven't, it's, it's true that it's possible. I haven't gotten more on it. When California instituted AB5, Assembly Bill 5, that they were so proud about, this was a pro-union bill that said you can't work the gig economy if you work for more than was it 30 days or 30 hours whatever it is well you got to be you got to be full time and benefits and everything else oh and then pay your union dues it destroyed the gig economy and these people in California were overjoyed by it then they kept Gavin Newsom in office so i don't feel anything for them at all but if you're a trucker trying to get the goods there in uh California but there's a law that prevents the gig economy. If you're an owner-operator, are you able to do the work? Are you able to do the work, yes or no? I'm an owner-operator. Is it the gig economy? What if I only drive two days a week and I do something else three days a week? Is it? Am I allowed to in California? One of the things that we see time and again is that, and and this is true of this administration, this administration, these leftists, have no real-world experience. Everything for them happened in the faculty lounge. Everything happened to them in the speakeasy where they just talked about how they would do it better, but, you know, they wouldn't be as bad as those other socialists. They know the right way to do it because they have the secret knowledge, man. They have been, they really have the understanding that these other people don't, and they've been in the faculty lounge surrounded by layers and layers of protection, of bureaucracy, of tenure. They can, they are gods on campuses, and the, the campuses are palaces. And so they come up with nonsense, ridiculous ideas. They have never once acted in the real world. And then they apply it in the real world. And they go, hmm, that didn't seem to be successful. I wonder what they did wrong. I have another idea. Let's take their money and try this idea. Hmm, huh? Hmm. I'll be sitting here comfortably waiting. And that's what happens. They don't talk to Chad. Chad is, 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 is like a... Is, is a problem, is the impediment. If Chad would just work harder within our rules that are arcane, everything would be fine. That's what they think of Chad. I, I don't. They do. So have they created the situations by which the problem now exists, specifically in California? Very possible. But are they engaged in rational thinking for how to get out of the problem? Well, I think Chad played that out pretty well. He's not arguing that you should be more than 14 hours. You need to get your rest. But maybe being able to utilize the whole 14 hours or be able to place the 14 hours as is necessary based on conditions on the ground may be helpful. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So according to some leaked documents, the U.S. government released 70,000 illegal aliens into the United States. Bill Malugan reporting over there at Fox News. So this has been happening since August 6th. 
including near 32,000 released via parole, which is temporary legal status or eligible for work permits. No, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Joe Biden talking about COVID vaccines. I'll bring that to you on the flip side. And Joe Rogan punching CNN in the throat. If you haven't heard it, I've got it. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today.